You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. You have to be nice to him. Please give him such a warm welcome. He's come up from London today. It is Angus Dunnikin. Awesome. Uh, yeah, hi, hello. Uh, I, uh, I have a massive dog. Uh, he's, no, he's so, so very big. He's so, so, I've gone out with girls who are smaller than this dog. He is, it's like a human masquerading as a dog. <laughs> Uh, he's so massive that people like to tell me, don't they? Because when you have a massive dog, people like to sort of point it out to you as if, you've, as if you, aren't, you don't know, as if, as if this is a mis- they're worried this might be a mistake, <laughs> as if you've just invited this creature. What's funny is that they pointed it out to you in a really weird tone of voice. They go, mate, that's, that's, that's a really massive dog. In this, it's the tone of voice that people use like if you've been drinking with them and you've finished like your third pint and then you get out your car keys and they're like, no, no this, is, this is a very bad idea. You shouldn't be doing this. Um, no, he's, he's a massive dog. He's, a, he's what's called a, a bull lurcher. So he's a half greyhound, uh, large greyhound and uh, half staff. So he's very wiry and like made of legs. He looks like a deck chair, but also has like a massive head and loads of muscles and he's really, he's quite, so he's, he's sort of slender and butch at the same time. He's a sort of Bruce Lee dog. And the thing is, is because he is both a, and also by the way, just as some context, I live uh, in Southeast London. I live uh, near, very near Crystal Palace, uh, where, where, we're at, yeah, where, we have, uh, where we have proper gazers still. We've still got gazers, you know, the kind of people that Danny Dyer pretends to be. We have those people still in, in their natural habitat. And he's both greyhound and a staff, so he's both the geezer dogs in one. He's like a perfect beast. So that means that every day my life consists of this. I walk around, and then some guy will just walk past me and go, excuse me, excuse me, pal, excuse me, what, uh, what breed is that? What breed is that? And I have to go through this rigmarole of going, he's a, he's a bull urchin, he's half greyhound, he's half staff. And like, oh, yeah, I was going to say, actually, yeah, I was going to say. Everyone was going to say. No one ever just ventures an opinion. They just, everyone just is, is always going to say, this is the weird thing, which makes you hate people when you have that conversation <laughs> like 40 times a week. It's a perfectly normal conversational tick otherwise, but otherwise it's just not fair. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 have this, I have this large creature in my life. His name is, his name is Huckleberry. Uh, for reasons that I'll go into in a minute. Uh, but he's lovely. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I got Huck... Uh, because my girlfriend and I were talking one day, and she just said, like, I think I'm ready. I think I'm dog ready. And I was like, good, because this means we can defer the having a child conversation for maybe up to three years, if anything, because I like to run away from responsibility quite a lot as a, as a, as a, as a tendency, I think. And so we, and, but I was a bit scared about getting a dog, because, like, um, uh, my mother-in-law has a dog also, and it kind of runs her life. Uh, his name is Hector, uh, and he's a bastard. And, and whenever Hector isn't like barking at the postman or shitting on the things that they value, um, whenever he's out of sight, all Cheryl, my mother-in-law, says, where's the dog? Where's the dog? So he's just this constant fixture in their life. So I was very scared to get a dog because I didn't want to repeat this damage. I didn't want to sort of have to live in this world in which we were suffering under the tyranny of the dog all the time. 
But, but nonetheless, I thought it would be good, because in a way, like, I don't want to falsely equate having a large uh, pet of any kind with having a child, uh, but it is at least an interesting dry run for that as a process uh, in, in many ways. Not least because you just have to sort of, it, the, the, one, the one similarity between having a child and having a large pet is at least sort of just sort of accepting within yourself that your life is a bit over, isn't it? Like just in it, just to a certain extent, in terms of like you being able to just leave the house when you want to. You can't always just do that when you. But it was love. The adoption process was really fun. Like we went to we went to Battersea, and it's like an old computer dating service. When you go there, they kind of match you up with a few hopefuls. And we were very keen on this dog called Enzo, who looked like a drawing of the dog of a dog from the 80s. You know, two different colored ears. He looked like a sort of exciting, sort of, you know, exciting new wave dog. We liked Enzo a lot. And we were due to meet Enzo, but then they, on the day we came in to meet Enzo, they were like, oh, no, 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 sorry, Enzo's in for an operation today. But would you like to meet this other dog, who was then called Freddy? We renamed him because we're pretentious. Um, and so we said, okay, fine. And we go to this sort of meeting room, which is this sort of like, sort of lovely, like romance lounge they have for the dogs, which is just like sofas and treats. And then the door opens, and then <laughs> this kind of chaos comes through the door because he's big. He is a big boy, and he's being led by a, a, a woman who is smaller than him, like in terms of like sheer body mass. And she is just dragged into the room by this excited. He hasn't been out of his like enclosure for a while, and and this is a room that is actually full of treats and full of smells and things and people. So it's just this mad excitement and like being barged into by this thing, and he's massive and weird and dopey and strange. And even though I hadn't intended to sort of say yes to, the, to anything today, I was like, well, you know, being all weird about it, I, I sort of, he came, he came and leaned against me because that's the thing they do. And I was just like, I want him. Because <laughs> he's like a mythical creature. Like, if a griffin came and said hello to you, can I live with you? I mean, even if it's inconvenient, you live in a maisonette, you're going to say yes, because it's a fucking griffin. <laughs> and so that's kind of what it was like. So we adopted him immediately, but what we hadn't really sort of banked on was the fact of like how non-dog proof our house was, especially for a dog that can just get on your services whenever he wants. It's not like a Jack Russell where they're kind of at your mercy for anything that's over this. No, Huck just, if he wants something, just gets up and gets it and steals it immediately just nicks it off the counter. So we had to like learn how to dog-proof the house uh, quite a lot. And I, I blew 300 quid raising the fences in my garden, hoping that that would contain him. No. <laughs> because the thing is, because he's too, like, because of, he's, he's a greyhound, so he's very, like, you know, he's got springy speed, but also he's got the, the staff muscle. He is, he can do parkour. He's Matt Damon <laughs> in the Bourne movies. And so... <laughs> It's bananas. So I raised the fences and I immediately like loosed him into my garden. Go there, you go. Poof, no, <laughs> and he's in the street. It happened a few days later. We were in Crystal Palace Park and he was sniffing around the bottom of a tree. I was like, "What's going on, baby?" Poof, he's in the tree. Dogs aren't supposed to be able to do that, especially when they're the size of like a 15-year-old. They like shouldn't be able to do that. That's a cat thing. But he's just he's exploding paradigms. You know, he's changing expectations of all these things. Um, but it was I, I, it's 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 lovely and it's interesting and it's weird and it's challenging. And you've invited this chaos beast into your life, but it's funny, isn't it? It's funny because it means that. Life is always unexpected. Um, but the, 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 the thing I find interesting about him as a creature 
is that he's quite crap with his bigness. He doesn't understand his bigness. He like, always wants to get into seats that aren't meant for him. He always wants to interfere with you. Um, sorry. But like, he always wants to just be all up in your hell. But like, as an inside dog, he, he's what I call a Boyle's Lord. Are there any scientists in the room? Is Boyle's, because no, I, I don't know, I'm a moron. Like, is Boyle's Law the one about gases and how they expand to fit? That, that's, is, <laughs> I, <laughs> oh no, sorry, I'm just, uh, I'm a grocer actually, but I thought I'd wing it. So, right, <laughs> right, <laughs> respect, I love a blagger. <laughs> but is, is, is Boyle's Law the one about the expansion? They do expect so. I like to call him a Boyle's Law dog. He expands or contracts to fill the space. That he, so when he's indoors, he's a very well-behaved thing. And he sits there and he does what I say and he looks at me in this beautiful way and he sort of responds to me. And I'm able to project onto him massively and sort of imagine that he's a real, sort of, that, that he understands me in this way. Um, but when, as soon as I take him outside, it's very different because he's half greyhound. And we have bred them for thousands of years to destroy things that move quickly. <laughs> and the world is made of squirrels, isn't it? <laughs> so just constantly walking around with Huck is mental, because you'll be walking around and then suddenly, boom, he'll just go into this weird lockdown and I'll be holding his muscles and yeah, just holding, holding him going, come on, bit, and I can feel underneath just this, like, this rope nonsense he has and just this bloodthirst that he has for something that I can't even see, that's about 100 meters away. And so it's quite sort of bizarre to have to reconcile the inside creature with the outside creature, and sometimes mad shit does happen. And we were walking around the park one day, and I just, and I, I have him on quite a long lead, because I'm not allowed to let him off, because if I let him off, I'll never fucking see him again. It'll just it'll be, that'll, that'll be it. I'll hear about there being sort of like the, the beast of Croydon, and it'll be him. <gasps> He'll make the papers or something, but I'll never see him again. Um, and... So I have to keep him on a very long lead, but it's okay. But I want him to have as much freedom as he had, but that means that sometimes I'm not paying attention because he's got a lot of play. And one time he was just sneaking around a tree, and then he disturbed a pigeon. Now, ordinarily, if a pigeon flies away, it's won, hasn't it? It's beaten the dogs if it flies away. No. <laughs> Huck, because Huck can jump. And he leapt up and caught a pigeon out of the air like a frisbee. <laughs> And so that was a pretty confronting, visceral 20 minutes I had as I wrestled a destroyed pigeon from Huck's jaws. And so, yeah, I know, it's not great. It gets worse, trust me. Um, so, that's the, but so, so I had to kind of reconcile myself with the fact that he is, even though I, I think of him as this sort of beautiful creature and he's this sort of magical thing that came to live with me like E.T. because he was homeless and he'd sort of been left behind by whoever, or whatever advanced race of dogs left him here. Uh, but actually, he is this quite sort of dangerous thing, and I have to be respectful towards that, and I have to understand that. But the, what's funny is that that just means that I sort of project onto him even more massively, because one of his hobbies is the fact he likes to look out the window all day. He sits in a papasan chair, because he's spoiled, and he sits in this papasan chair and just looks, stares at the neighborhood and watches all day long, and watches every passing car with this sort of strange statue-like dignity that he has. And so I start to invent this narrative that he has a sort of previous life, where he was like Viggo Mortensen's character in A History of Violence, where, he's, where he used to be like a kind of mob hitman, but now he's just trying to go straight. But one day the gang's going to come rolling back through town, and he knows, he knows that it can't last forever, this suburban dream that he's living. 
So I just, I do project onto him massively. Uh, but there's loads of things that I have to sort of be aware of and be aware of the fact that, like, even though I like to think that I'm slowly civilizing him and turning him into a sort of more socialized beast, that actually that's maybe an illusion. And also the weird thing is, is that we like to think that we socialize dogs, but we don't. They just turn us into dogs. Because we have to walk our territory twice a day, so we just become these weird sort of police humans who go around looking for anomalies within the neighborhood. That's why dog walkers find dead bodies. It's because they, they have a beat. <laughs> Dogs turn us into cops. <laughs> they just turn us to these, these other... It's, it's weird. So there's a bit of an osmotic trade-off between us and the dogs in terms of behaviors, which I think is quite fun. But... I started to sort of very much enjoy this sort of, uh, this, the freedom I have when I'm out walking him. And I, sometimes I'd sort of, I mean, I'm a, I'm a writer and, and, a, and a comedian, and, and so, and, which means that I like to not do work. And I, and I like to sort of procrastinate by taking Huck on increasingly long walks. And sometimes we're just out on these, these huge constitutionals together, and I like to sort of pretend that it's just us out in the wilderness together. So there's this sort of weird team. You know, it's just this sort of, this beautiful, lovely thing. And... I just really wanted to have a much more kind of organic relationship with him. I didn't want him to be on the lead all the time, so I started sort of letting him off the lead a little bit in strange places where I thought I could get away with it. And it would be very much reinforced by treats and by training. We took him to training, and it was great. In training, he won all the time. He was brilliant. He got like sort of all these rosettes, and he'd just show off and be really like, oh, just lie down. It's fine. You guys bark. And he'd really just sort of show off to all the other dog owners who had misbehaving dogs. But as soon as you get him outside, he's a nightmare. He expands. Boyle's law. And... <laughs> Sorry, just rambling now. So I tried letting him off the lead, and it was working. He was coming back, and he'd go away, and he'd come back, he'd go away, come back. And then the third or fourth time, I'd be like, Huck! 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 And, it's, and, and it's, by that point, it's too late. By that point, he's, like, he's gone from normal Huck to battle Huck because he's seen something. The muscles in his body have like tightened like a like a loaded crossbow. And he's just gone and he's run into I live near a swamp, by the way. I didn't I didn't actually tell that at the beginning. I live near an actual swamp in, near Crystal Palace. There's this weird sort of like area of scrubland where it's like it's it's a, it is literally a swamp. There's long grasses, there's like murky water, there's nonsense, and he just disappears into the long grass, and I can see like him moving around in there like a boar. <laughs> and so I'm just having to sort of trudge through, just trying to sort of like catch up to him. But actually the thing is, is that it makes me realize that maybe he doesn't want to be civilized because he doesn't know what that is. He just wants to run off and be free and be a dog and eat crap, literally eat crap. He once ate a bag of another dog's poo in a bag. <laughs> Someone had picked up another dog's crap, put it in a bag, left it, thinking they'll pick it up on the way back. And he just found it and thought, I'll have that. <laughs> both together. So he is, you know, he's a nightmare. He's not a civilized man. He's not a good roommate. You know, he's not, I would not advise him to my friends. So he's just out in this, in this, in this horrible thing. And I'm like waist deep in muddy water, just trying to catch up to him. And finally we meet on an island. There are islands in Southeast London, who knew? And I'm just there, just trying to hold on to him, just trying to sort of just impress upon him that, darling, please don't do this. I love you. He does not know what love is, does he? Because I want him to know how much I care for him and how much I just want to sort of protect him and to make his life lovely. But he's incapable of understanding that. Which I know that sounds obvious, but you forget that. And what I find weird is that 
is because I have these sort of feelings about him, which are very parental feelings, I think. I think I do think he's my son sometimes. It means that when he does fuck up, fuck up really badly, it means that I, it really hurts me. And the worst thing that happened recently is I was walking down the road with him, and I was just a little bit distracted for five seconds, and then something jumped over a wall. It was a cat. Big, fluffy cat. And Huck's quick. So don't worry, this doesn't get too bad. But he did get the cat. So he's got the cat. Right, the cat was all right in the end, but I'm just letting you know that now. But it's going to get rough for a couple of minutes. <laughs> so he's got the cat by. I mean, I've got a little bit of hair here, but like, obviously, it's not much as, as much as a cat. But like, but he's so he's got the cat by this bit. So the cat is face to face with, in terms of like mass equivalence, several bears. <laughs> <laughs> And Huck's got it. And I'm just going, no, and I'm pulling it over. But Huck just won't let it go. And the cat is, it's, and so I'm now la locked into this sort of three-way mortal struggle between my dog and the cat and me. I'm quite scared as well because I don't know what's going to happen. Because when he's got this, when the madness is happening, I'm not sure what's happening. And I don't know if you guys have ever looked into the eyes of something that is genuinely fighting for its life, like tooth and claw and fuck you. But it's very traumatizing and to see the cat, its eyes just like dinner plates like this, and just striking out and biting and clawing, and just Huck's face, my hands, my other hand, like its own fate. The cat hurt itself. It was in such a strange rage. And Huck was shaking the cat. So in the end, I just had to like get Huck in a headlock like this. And eventually, the cat just like <clears throat> tore itself off him and then ran away. In Huck's jaws was just a tuft of cat. And... Huck's face is covered in blood, a mixture of his, mine's, and the cat. And on the other side of the road, watching this unfold, is another dog owner. The owner of a husky called Kazoo. <laughs> and Kazoo is like, if all of our dogs were at school together, Kazoo would be the head boy. <laughs> He'd be the captain of the first 11. I would hate Kazoo. <laughs> and this dog owner just watched this mortal struggle unfold. And, like, there's just, and the smuggery of the parent as well. <laughs> and I'm there with my child, his muzzle covered in you know, blood and viscera. And it was just, it was, it was these waves of guilt and shame just like flooding over me. Meanwhile, this is nothing to Huck. All Huck can think of is... The thing got away. <laughs> Why do I not have the thing? I wanted to destroy that thing. <laughs> do you have any biscuits? <laughs> so I just sat, sort of just panting in the street with Huck for ages, just sort of holding him. And like, it turns out most of it, not really the cat's blood, all Huck. Mainly it was just Huck because the cat had just got him so many times. And a very nice man came out called Rajid. He came out. He's one of my neighbors, and he gave me loads of um, loads of kitchen towel, and we tried to sort of mop ourselves up as best we could. And and then I kind of just took him back into the house, and then I kind of just collapsed in the house. I just sort of like, and Huck immediately gets inside, compresses again, goes back to being a normal creature, and just sort of sits there expectantly on the rug, going, "Food now. Will you take off my harness?" And all of my usual projections starts to come back and all this. But I can't look at him the same way because, you know, he's covered in gore. 
and so am I. And we did nothing for 20 minutes. We just sat there looking at each other. He didn't do anything. He sat there. He, like, he never sits for that long ever. I think he sensed that he was in some kind of shit. <laughs> he wasn't sure why. But he knew that until Dad stood up, there was going to be no chicken and rice. So he just sort of sat there looking at me. And I just stared at him for ages. And I, and I realized three things. One, um, he's, not, he's not a cockney, like, geezer. He's not E.T. He's not Viggo Mortensen in the history of violence. And nor is he my son. He's not my son. He's just a dog. And with all of the madness and all of the simplicity that that entails. And also, like, it's weird because it made me sort of evaluate. Because I, I may be going to, like, me and my girlfriend have been talking about having a baby for a while. And I'm terrified of it, just straight up, by the way, guys, full disclosure, absolutely mortified. Um, but we're sort of talking about it and thinking about it and trying to do it. And the thing that's, that's different about that as a texture, I think, in terms of how you think forward about it as, as, a, as an adventure, is that, is that this is a thing that you, you know, initially is confused and frightened and screams at you and doesn't know anything, but then you instill it with sort of morals and values and you give it, you know, your stories and then you, one day you fart it off out into the world and it goes, goes off and maybe hates you for a bit, but whatever like that, you know, it goes off and just is a kid for a bit and it has at least half your face. And by this point, you're tired, but at least there's a young half you walking about somewhere. And that's never going to happen with Huck. He will always be an idiot. <laughs> he will always be that strange creature. And sort of accepting that, I suppose, is, is kind of the difficult bit, and accepting that as part of the arrangement. And also, like, just as a weird thing, this is something that obviously like, parents, God willing, never have to deal with. Um, I'm 35 today, by the way. Uh, thank, thank you. Uh, Huck is, we think, uh, five. We think. Uh, we don't know. It's hard to say because he was stray. He was hit by a car in Putney, um, and then that, and then the Batsy, uh, the Batsy, and the Batsy found him. Uh, and it's seven to one, isn't it, for dog years? So Huck is thirty-five too. For all of a brief moment, Huck and I are the same age. So for a long time, he's been my son, but now he's going to be older than me. Weirdly, he's like a man who lives on Venus. His years are shorter. And. <laughs> And it's just odd looking at him because like, I feel like we can always keep making progress and we can keep sort of, I can keep trying to teach him. But we will always, no matter what, always have miles to go. <laughs> it's never going to stop. He'll never, you can't complete dog. There is no way of finishing the project. He's just this gorgeous idiot shadow that's bound to me. <laughs> and I don't know if he loves me. But he does need me. And I do need him. And so, yeah, we do have miles to go. Uh, but I couldn't tell you how many they are. Um, nor do I care to know. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Angus Duncan! True Stories Live is a story show and a story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website, truestorieslive.co.uk. We're super grateful to be supported by Arts Council England, Norfolk County Council and Writer Centre Norwich. 